But in terms of staying present while working remotely, there were a lot of things that I struggled through to, to you know, really have to figure out. And now I feel like I've come to a balance. And I think it's going to be different for everybody. But there were a couple of things that became very important to me. Welcome to The Drift, the podcast where we get to hear from some of those extraordinary women and chat on all things business strategy, personal development, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloisa, and today's guest is Dr. Sheila Akbar, President and COO of Signet Education. Sheila joined the Signet team in the summer of 2010, bringing with her a wealth of experience teaching SAT, ACT, GRE, literature, and composition in both one-on-one and classroom settings. Sheila loves both teaching and learning and finds nothing more rewarding than working closely with students to overcome the challenges they face. After graduating from Harvard in 2002, Sheila spent two years working in financial services before continuing her academic career, which culminated in two doctorates. She brings her significant business and academic experience to bear on her current role at Signet. Her skills include speaking to every client to craft a tailored solution for their needs, managing the administrative team, and providing educational thought leadership for the company. Among all things, Sheila also holds a bachelor's degree and master's degree from Harvard University, and not to mention two doctoral degrees from Indiana University. I am so, so excited for you all to be able to hear from her today and also be able to understand, my goodness, Sheila, did you have any time on your hands too? Which I know will be a key focus of our conversation here today. So I kind of go ahead and get started by sharing your background and what got you started. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I always, you probably can't tell, but I blush so hard when people read that bio. (laughs) And that is something that I, you know, need to work on accepting myself. Like that is my life. It is accurate. Yes. And it is all wins. Yeah. And and I really need to work on embracing that. But even at this level, there's a feeling of, yeah, it's not quite imposter syndrome, but it's sort of like, oh, pshaw, that's nothing, you know, (laughs) but I need to accept the compliments. So Yes. How did I get to where I am? What is my story? Um, I grew up in a family of immigrants in rural Michigan. So that was an experience. It was very formative and um, set me on a path of, I got to get out of here. Um, And the way to get out of there was through academic achievement. It was very clear in my family that that was the priority. Um, My dad was a doctor. My brother is a doctor. And so there was a lot of expectation on me to follow in that path. And I got to Harvard, um, I think through sheer luck. Honestly, if I applied now, I Mm -hmm. I probably would not get in. Um, And at some point during my time there, I sort of admitted to myself, well, you know, being a doctor is not my dream. It's my father's dream. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know what my dream was. So I kind of fell in with the rest of my class, and we all kind of just went to New York and worked on Wall Street. Um, I was very unhappy and, again, did not know how to find that happiness. You'll notice this is a theme. And I floundered around a little bit and eventually went back to Harvard to do graduate school, loved it, and then decided to do a PhD, 
thought out, why not just add a second PhD on here while I'm doing it? Um, And then all the while I had been tutoring and working with family members on college applications and and, uh, working with a a number of different tutoring companies to, to provide services. And I had an opportunity to join my very good friend Jay, who founded Signet in 2010, as you mentioned. And while there, I realized all of these skills I've developed from trying different things, from studying different things, are really applicable in this environment. And Jay and I have such a great relationship. He was like, yeah, go for it. Make us better. And so I started building out infrastructure and training and running our hiring program and um, doing a lot of the mentoring of other tutors as well as working with my own students. I built out our admissions team um, and really grew that business tremendously over the last 13 years now. Um, And so in 2017, I think 2018, Jay named me president and COO, which I think I had been doing that work for a very long time, but we decided to make it official. Um, and since then, I've also taken on kind of overall thought leadership for the company in terms of, you know, uh, where are we going and how do we want to speak about what we do and what are the kinds of, what are the kinds of families we want to serve um, and how do we want to serve them so that we can balance, you know, the needs of the parents with the actual goals of the students. And this is where my story of following someone else's dream, not understanding what I wanted, not knowing how to move forward towards, you know, my own dreams, maybe not even having my own dreams, uh, really comes to bear on what we do at Signet because what we're trying to do is help teenagers develop a really inspiring vision for themselves and understand the tools to do that, build the muscle of reflection, and then help them turn that into action and support them as they move on that journey. Wow. You, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. This is just so (laughs) fascinating to me. You know, so first question that I have for you Mm -hmm. is, as you look back onto your career and your journey, right, we, we kind of talk about how the first part of our life is really not decided by us. Mm-hmm. We don't decide our name for the most part. I wish we could, even though I think my name's pretty cool. Your name's pretty cool too. Yeah. But we, there's a lot of decisions that are really made for us. And mm-hmm. um, my goodness, I can certainly I can certainly reflect on even my personal journey. Maybe it's more of like this Asian like culture and everything wants to be decided for you. You're either a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer mm-hmm. or an accountant. Um, and those are kind of the pathways. And it's fascinating for me to be able to hear of how, you know, that was your path originally and how you set off for that, right? You went to school, you you approached more of like the academia world, but then at the same time, you also recognized that you only you also had your own personal passions and you found a way to be able to mirror those and blend those together. Like, talk to me about that whole entire process. Is there Anything that you would change if you had the opportunity to do it all over again? Is that the same path? Uh, Yeah. A lot of great questions in there. Um, (laughs) If I had to do it all over again, yes, I would do it the same way. I think the path would be the same. The thing that I would change is my attitude and probably my parents' attitude towards mentorship. I don't think I had any good mentors. Um, There were a lot of people who cared about my success. There were wonderful teachers who inspired me in high school, but I didn't have anyone who really understood me, 
who looked like me, who understood the cultural expectations that you were just talking about that my parents had, but also understood I was growing up in America. And there were things that were different about my upbringing from my parents that would change my trajectory or how I wanted to approach my life. And I didn't have anybody that I could talk to that talk to about that. I had friends Mm. who were in the exact same situation as me, but it was sort of the blind leading the blind, if you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) So I think if I had had a mentor who could have helped me just think through things and helped me understand that that process of trying things, maybe liking it or not liking it, and then trying something slightly different, um, that process of experimentation is essential to a great life. Mm-hmm. And success is not a straight line. It's going to look like ups and downs, left turns, taking two steps backwards to go one step forward. That is all the journey. That is exactly what life is about. And I had this idea in my head that it should be a straight line and I should know which straight line I'm going to pursue from the time I'm like 15. And if anything goes wrong, well, that's a big problem, right? So I went through this process of, you know, deciding not to be a pre-med, deciding not to pursue financial services past the second year, uh, deciding to not become a professor after finishing two PhDs and a master's um, that really felt like failure to me. And I had no way to really understand that those weren't failures. They were amazing learning opportunities and platforms for me to launch forward to the next thing that was the right thing for me. Um, So if I had to do it all over again, I would like to do it with that mindset. And I think I would have felt a lot better about my 20s, for example, (laughs) than than I actually did. You know, I, I felt pretty lost. My parents were very concerned Um, you know, they're supportive, but they were just like, can you just please go take the MCAT still? (laughs) And I'm in my 40s now. Um, So I think um, just an attitude adjustment would be what I changed. Mm. That, oh my goodness, that is so incredibly powerful. And I think that a lot of, especially the younger generation can attest to of how, for the most part, our decisions of who we want to be when we grow up is almost created by way of who is currently at that pedestal, like who is being recognized, who is being immediately rewarded. And it's all about representation and who we're seeing in, in, our, in front of us. And for the most part, speaking to this whole concept of a linear path, which is super not, it's never a linear path, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, a, it's always going to be taking a look at different ups and downs and everybody has so many different types of pathways and journeys that they're experiencing. So we almost then too have this additional layer that we have to overcome. Whereas in order to get to a C-level position or to be an entrepreneur and found your own business and then to achieve what we deem as quote unquote success in our professional career, mm-hmm. it's not like this win after win after win after win after win. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made. There's a lot of experiences that we have to be able to learn from. Um, and also learning more of like these transferable leadership life skills that quite frankly, not too many of us really learn from at a young age. They don't have, well, nowadays, thankfully, like they don't have like leadership development classes in school, which it sounds like now it's kind of the approach and these learnings are what you're now applying to students that you're teaching today. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, I mentioned the vision that we're trying to help them develop. And alongside of that, there is that mindset, right? It's a growth mindset that if you work hard at something, you will get better at it. And that we get better by practicing the things that are hard for us. Only by practicing mm-hmm. the things that are hard for us can we grow. And that means struggle and failure are going to be part of the process. And there's actually a lot of research that shows the more you struggle with something, the better you're going to learn it. So um, we shift that mindset. um, And that's not something that, you know, you just give them in a five-minute lecture. It's something you have to demonstrate to them over and over again. I share my own story of, I thought that I wanted this and it sucked. And it was really hard to admit that I didn't want that and to tell my family and to let, you know, all the people that I graduated with know that like, hey, I still haven't figured it out yet. Um, That was really hard. Um, So there's the mindset piece. And then there are the skills, skills and tools, routines, um, actual uh, content that people need to learn. And then on top of that, there are values. And that was one of the biggest learnings for me through my journey is the reason things didn't feel like they were a fit for me or I couldn't figure out what I wanted next is because I didn't know what my values were. And when I started to reflect on what I did like about that job or didn't like about it or I loved about the culture of that workplace or didn't appreciate about this or that supervisor, I started to get clear on what my values are. And then that became a framework for all decisions I've made since. I know that I need to be in a place that has real impact on young people. That is a value of mine. I don't think I could ever work somewhere where that wasn't part of the goal of the institution. Um, Even if I left education, I would be doing something that impacts young people in some way, Mm. right? Um, Another part of it is collaboration. Open collaboration is so valuable to me. I do not want to be told what to do. I do not want to tell other people what to do. I want to figure this out together. Right. So those are just some examples that it took me a long time to learn that those are the things I prioritize and they're actually deal breakers. Right. If I can't do those things, I can't do this work with you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that that's a really valuable thing that we also pass along to our to our students. Sure, sure. And I think speaking broadly, too, is trying to understand and create those personal values. There isn't necessarily a uh, values creation or workshop 101 whenever we're younger. So it's important that yeah. we're able to recognize and instill those types of skills uh, so that people do or people are able to better understand and take some time for reflection to understand who they are and who they want to be and what they're prioritizing. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that I know that you and I have chatted about speaking along the lines of how to be more present, right? And I think this could certainly be something not only that a younger generation can learn about from a personal development standpoint, but quite frankly, all of us. And as a nod to the nonlinear journey that we Mm -hmm. all go through that you just spoke about, talk about a nonlinear journey when we, we, in 2020, everything shut down and goodness, our lives completely got turned up upside down and we were trying to figure out how we were going to work together and how we were going to interact with one another and working from home and trying to take a look and, 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 and digest all these different distractions that we now have in our life. My goodness. Before we kind of go into that, I think you were already going through this process, were you not? 
I was, yeah. I've worked remotely for Signet since 2013. So I was um, well-practiced at this when the pandemic hit. Of course, <laughs> it, it wasn't necessarily an easy transition um, right. because before when I was working from home, my husband was out of the house. My child was out of the house. I had a dedicated office space that I could go to. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, wait, what are you guys doing here? I need my space to do my thing. What's happening? I need my space. Please go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, all of the other sort of worries that happened, like, how do we get groceries and who can we talk to? And I have a three-year-old. What are we going to do? <laughs> Uh, it was very difficult. Um, but in terms of staying present while working remotely, there were a lot of things that I struggled through to, to you know, really have to figure out. And now I feel like I've come to a balance. And I think it's going to be different for everybody. But there were a couple of things that became very important to me. One was clarifying, clarifying the expectations within my household. Just because I'm working from home doesn't mean I can do all the things that need to be done at home. Like I'm not going to be doing laundry. I'm not going to be, you know, going grocery shopping. I'm not going to be um, cleaning the house because I am working, right? And having that explicit conversation with my partner was very helpful, but I had to do it with guests. I had to do it with my parents because my mom would call me at all hours of the day. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I'm in a meeting. I can't talk to you. <laughs> Um, so I really had to clarify those expectations. Just because I'm working from home doesn't mean I'm not working, right? And then I also had to set up sort of physical representations of that. So I actually get dressed for work. There was a lot of, certainly during the pandemic, where I was like working in my pajamas. Sure, that's a great perk of working from home. But I found it much more helpful to actually shower, dry my hair, put some makeup on, put on, you know, business appropriate clothing. Um, that was very helpful for me just mentally to be like, I am at work. Look at this professional woman. I am at work. <laughs> um, and for other people to see that as well, to know, oh, wait, she's, she's at work. And then another part of that was designating a space in my house for this. And I was lucky enough at the beginning of the pandemic where we were living, our garage had been converted into an office or into an, a little apartment. And there was a screened in porch um, there that I converted into my office. And, you know, we live in Southern California. So I could have an office and a screened in porch in our backyard. It was nice. Um, but I had to leave the house to get to it. So that was really nice. There was like 30 seconds of walking through the backyard that helped me just be like, okay, I'm going into the office. And my family knew, oh, she's in the office. Let's leave her alone, you know? Um, now where we live, one of the extra bedrooms in our house, I'm very fortunate to have an extra bedroom, um, is my office. And there is a lock on the door. And everybody knows if that door is closed, can't bother mom. Right. Um, so little things like that have been very helpful. But I think that the harder things to navigate were my own, like the pressures I put on myself. Um, certainly when I started working remotely, I was worried that my colleagues would think I was just, you know, sitting on the couch eating bonbons and watching TV. Um, so I felt this uh, intense pressure to respond to emails and slacks immediately to show them, hey, I'm here working diligently at my desk. And nobody expected that of me, number one. 
And number two, it created this habit that like even when the workday was over, I felt like I had to be really responsive to all of these things. So that was a, a boundary I had to set for myself and has been very much helped by having an assistant who actually sets my out of office for me <laughs> because I can't be trusted to set it for myself. Um, so now even when I check my email at night and somebody emails me something that feels a little time sensitive, I'm like, all right, they got my out of office. It's fine. Nobody expects a response at midnight it's going to be okay, right? So just letting go of some of those expectations I had put on myself have been hard. Um, and then I also think because we've been alone for so long, um, I really value my time when I'm talking to somebody else. So I really work hard to just shut off all the other distractions when I'm in a meeting with somebody on Zoom or right now, like where we're, I'm just seeing your face on a screen, but I'm like, oh, there's an actual person here. I really want to be present and get the most I can out of this interaction because even though a lot of, you know, a lot of us has, have relaxed our uh, restrictions around uh, who we interact with and when we're wearing a mask and whatever these things, we know we're not back to normal yet. Right. There is just sort of a lack of sociability that is still lingering. I used to have people over for dinner all the time. I can't remember the last time I had someone over for dinner. Right. So I really, really savor these moments where I get to talk to somebody else. I think it helps that I'm an extrovert and like I need that interaction with other people to feel like myself. So I, I'm very conscious about that. Mm. Oh, this is amazing tidbits. I definitely want to dive into a couple of these because I personally have like all these questions of like, all right, how did you do that? Yes. Um, it's funny because like three years later, two, three years later, we're still learning yeah, on how to be able to live in this world. Yeah. Right. So let's kind of go back to the expectations. That's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. So what tools helped, you know, for some people that may be like, really focusing on like time blocking and really like focusing on a schedule. Like how did you establish, I guess, your schedule with your family? Yeah. It's interesting because I'm also a person who hates routine. I just hate it. <laughs> um, and I resisted it for so long. But with a young kid, you need some routines. It's just very mm. helpful. Um, so I go to the gym in the morning. And it's really nice for me to just be out of the house first thing in the morning. I'm not tempted to look at my phone or a screen. And I'm doing an intense workout class where all I can think about is how do I get through the next 30 seconds? Um, and then I come home and my husband and son have gotten up and they're starting breakfast. And, um, you know, I'm not the one responsible for all these things because I was out of the house. So that's been really nice for us. Um, it does mean I have to sacrifice some sleep. I wake up at like 5.30 and that's not that's not fun. I miss mm. sleeping in. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, starting my day that way has been really helpful in a lot of ways beyond just, you know, getting me out of the house and uh, letting the morning routine start on its own. Um, there's a lot of research that shows exercise is immensely valuable for your mental health and ability to focus. Um, it has built my resilience. Like, I never thought I would be a person who goes to the gym every morning at 6 a.m. And the fact that I do, I'm like, yeah, I can do hard things. I could do really hard things. Ooh, <laughs> it also nice. helped me feel like, hey, I did something really hard in the morning. So when I'm done with work, I have full permission to just completely veg out, right? I worked a full day and I worked out. What else could the world possibly want from me? 
right? So I give my person, myself full permission. I'll take a nap. I'll read a book. I'll go on a walk. I'll watch some bad TV. It's fine, you know? So that's been really helpful for me too. Um, I'm forgetting the, the thread of the conversation here. What did I do to set up routines with my family? Was that? Yes. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it has, has had to be like kind of difficult, uncomfortable conversations with my partner around who's doing what and when. And um, we learned this from another couple of like when I cook dinner, he does the dishes and all the cleaning and we switch and we don't even have to talk about it. We just know that's our routine. Um, we each take turns waking up early on a weekend day because my son's at an age where he still wakes up at the crack of dawn. Um, and so Saturdays, usually my husband sleeps in. Sundays is my my day. Nobody expects anything from me until 9 or 10 a.m. And it's bliss. Um, so just setting those expectations and having those conversations has been um, transformative in our household. Mm. I love that. And I guess on the other side, from a leadership position too, as mm. you can certainly speak to speak from example or speaking experience, for employers, what advice would you have for them as they continue to just engage with their remote and kind of hybrid yeah. environment employees? Well, one thing I think that has helped us is that we have a system of um, metrics for every single position and with each position, there are clear, clearly defined responsibilities, right? I know what every person in my company owns as a process. And then when appropriate, certain people also own certain projects. And there are clear measures of success for each of those projects. And we have a rhythm on which we check in on all of that, usually on a weekly basis, how are your metrics for your role? And so, for example, uh, someone in a sales role is going to have what's their conversion rate, what's the sales cycle length, that sort of thing, right? Um, how much revenue did you bring in this week? Whatever it is. Um, my tutors even have metrics around how often are they meeting with their students, what kind of feedback are they getting, how many hours are they doing in a week. It's just very clear what we expect from everybody in the company. Um, those projects, like I said, also have measurable milestones that we're checking in on every week. And if we're off track, I feel like it's my job to say, what can I do to help you get back on track? Do we need to you know, roll up our sleeves and do some work right now? Is there an obstacle I can help remove for you? Is there a problem I can help you think through? And because we have such clear expectations and everyone is on the same page about them, we really don't run into problems where people aren't doing their job or they're slacking off. And I've been able to move away from a world in which I expect everyone to work 40 hours a week. I don't care when they're working as long as I can reach them when I need to and they're getting their jobs done. Their metrics look good. Go do whatever you need to do this. as long as the work gets done. Exactly. I always like to say output versus input, right? Yeah. We care so much more about achieving results as opposed to how many hours you're putting in, what times, and so forth. Just being present, not only from working from home, but also just present in your company and present inside your, your role. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, Sheila, you provided such a wealth of information here. I have a final question for you. It's something that uh -huh. I like to do always here at The Drift. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be an entrepreneur or executive, what would you tell them? 
Oh, what would I tell them? I would say get really good at reflecting on why you felt uncomfortable in this or that situation. Don't just accept it. Oh, that was icky or I want to avoid that. Really analyze it and learn everything you can about yourself, about the people you're interacting with from every one of those experiences. Um, I think that for me has been one of the most valuable things to understand what I'm uncomfortable with so that I know if I encounter it again, I expect to feel uncomfortable. It actually makes it a little less uncomfortable (laughs) to know, yeah, it's going to feel gross, but I can get through it. Or I can even pre-plan a solution. This thing is going to make me uncomfortable. This is what I'm going to do right afterwards. Or I'm going to do it this way so it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Or I'm going to seek out mentors who don't treat me that way (laughs) because that person made me uncomfortable, right? Um, I think too often we see those uncomfortable situations as inevitable, kind of brick walls, things that we were just have to bite our tongue around, but that's not the case. And if you can really get clear on why it made you uncomfortable, you can find a way through it. Amazing. Well, thank you, Sheila, for your time. Looking to hear more of what's happening in the health, wellness, sports, and business industries. Follow this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.